and welcome to another episode of the Roach Coach Podcast, the journey to create the new metal canon. My name is Lauren Kozlowski. With me, as always, the Indigo Angel, Jennifer Bloomer. Hello. And the original Roach Rider, Mr. Matt Nas. <laughs> Keep it rolling, baby. I'm sorry. There we go. I just got really distracted by a photo of the vocalist for the band we're going to be talking about today. Oh, that's going to happen. We're talking about The Cure, their self-titled album. You got the cutest little Robert Smith. I got Uh, very distracted by a photo of Robert Smith from 2012. Oh, oh, yeah. Those, yeah, those current, yeah, yeah, that's going to be distracting. And, you know, longtime listener, maybe a first-time listener wondering, hey, isn't this a new metal podcast? Why are you guys talking about The Cure? Bat. What is this special month called? It's a producer spotlight. Spotlight. And the and the spotlight points at you, Ross Robinson. Ross Robinson, it's your time to shine. Lauren, why did we choose producer extraordinaire Ross Robinson as the first producer for the non-new metal producer spotlight? We chose the angel, first and foremost, because we missed him. He's the angel. We love him. We love to talk about him. We're always trying to find reasons to talk about him. But we felt, you know, this guy is the godfather of new metal. Look it up. It's in the books. Joel McIver's book, Matt Carp's book, New Metal Resurgence. Everybody's like, Ross, he's the guy. He's responsible. And he admits it. But at a certain point, an angel must spread its wings and go on and work on other types of albums besides corn albums and Limbiscuit albums and Slipknot albums. So this month, we're going to listen to four albums that he produced that are, uh, I was going to say decidedly not new metal. We'll just say not new metal. Some of these ones, it could surprise you. Some things could be interesting. But the first album we decided to do is the self-titled album from The Cure, uh jenny when did i'm sorry oh man i was getting all ahead of it on that we're gonna get to it we're gonna dig all into this record we're gonna talk about it before we do though we got to talk about who's tweeting who's tweeting who is so we did an episode all about the second super heist album we got we got here's the thing that is true matt that sound you made accurate we got some feedback and this feedback, it's pretty wild. We'll start off with a not so wild one, Jenny. What do we got? Uh, Ronnie Neely says, Lauren defends Corey Feldman's song. Lauren, I try my best not to listen to Coheed and Cambria. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Suck it, Kozlowski. <laughs> Look, Lauren, you, you, are, you are one of my dearest friends. Ronnie's not wrong. <laughs> so... Mastodon is on tour this summer with Coheed and Cambria. Mm-hmm. And on a personal level, when I saw that they were touring together, I remember thinking, oh, man. And I saw the, the font for how the poster is. Coheed is top. Mastodon is second. So in my heart, I'm like, oh, Mastodon is so much better than those guys. But in my brain, I thought, ooh, I go to that show and I leave and I don't have to hear a lick of that shit. <laughs> Mastodon plays, and I'm out of there. It's true. They might be co-headlining. You don't know. That would be my luck. I roll in being like, let's do this, Mastodon. And then Coheed walks out and ruins my fucking night. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. And they would say Lauren Kozlowski. Oh, yeah. You it specifically. Yeah. After every song, they go, how's that one, Lauren? We got 12 more. They're all eight minutes long, and, and I'm singing every single one. They like the one we just finished. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go ahead and say that I like Coheed and Cambria. I have no problem with Coheed and Cambria. But also, I would love to make you sit through that while keeping your eyes open and making you watch <laughs> clips in random order of Bohemian Rhapsody and Birdman. <laughs> <laughs> what you, you so you what you wanted me to do you want to you want to clockwork orange me yes. at a at a coheed show with oh geez wow <laughs> yeah. just I like none start- of it sounds that bad to me so i'm like it'll be funny <laughs> if for you it's the worst thing. uh well good to know uh good to know good to know so you guys uh we've had people comment in our comment section before. And we got a comment from Richie Norton. Jenny, who's Richie Norton? Who is Richie Norton? That's a great cue. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so Richie Norton is in Super Heist. All right, look. That- <laughs> Somebody asked me who this person is. I, I don't fucking know. Who's Richie Norton? Did I go to school with him? Richie. He's not listening right now. There's no way. And if you are, I'm sorry. But if somebody said, who's Jen Bloomer? You'd be like, I don't fucking know who that is. And I'm fine with that. <sighs> Richie's in Surprise. And he said, thanks for featuring this album 17 years after it was released. Your Just review when is everybody spot on. wants their album featured. Yeah. Your review is spot on. The band took 13 years off after this album. And these days, kicks on without Joey Bureau and Fetis Sabwe. And take note, don't play any tracks from this album. Keyboards definitely sound stuck and unsuited. The whole thing is largely confused. Hey. Wow. Thank you, Richie. Thank you, Richie. You've been far more kind to us than we have been. You know, it is. I remember when we recorded that album, it is rare that we have our theorists hat on and then have them confirmed by the people who were actually there. This is true. Yeah. Because normally we're over here being like, we think Brandon was walking around with no shoes on. There were no doors. Bead curtains Jump. everywhere. Be- well, that's everywhere. Just true. Yeah. Um, so then we had a comment from Jason O'Donnell responding to Richie, saying that he still loves the album, that he thinks it has an elegance and a carried definite emotion. He lists a bunch of songs. He says spoke to him. Uh, says that his own band, Concrete Coma, is influenced by them. And he says, I can turn the volume up full blast and rock out all day to it. And it holds a very special place in my life. Richie came back and said that makes me feel good. However, it's the opposite for me. This album represents one of the most disappointing times of my life. Filled with more bullshit than you could ever imagine. Much like the general sound of the record. Ooh, Richie is coming in hotter on this album than we did. And then he said, he said to to uh, Jason, he said, "Did you listen to the podcast? Twas a brutal but fair assessment, I thought." Wow. I want to make a shirt of that one. It is rare that we do a takedown, and then have the participants of said takedown go fair. Especially, I mean, this is how fucking cool Richie is. Mm-hmm. No matter what. I love what I do. You know what I mean? Like, if somebody yeah, yeah. bags on Roach Coach, I'm going to put up the front. 
But you know what? I'm a thirsty bitch. So I like compliments of way more than I like, you know, actual criticism. This yeah. is how fucking cool Richie is. He listens to the whole thing, lives through a lot of it again, which seems not to be the best points of his life. And he goes, mm-hmm. eh, it's fair. Yeah, dude. Hats off. Hats off forever to Super Heist for coming through big time with their with with humility grace and excellence boom yep. richie boom. <laughs> you did it i did reach out to richie through the roach coach facebook and told him thanks for listening i also told him you know uh to listen to the prize recruit episode because we like that one a lot and he said thanks he says i'm all down for what we aussies call taking the piss it was a shit time for the band the album reflects that during the making of the record the band members were not getting along and hardly communicated that's why it sounds like five guys making all different records at the same time all there right. You have it. Well, Richie, what a sport. What a dream. Garrett Fuller came in. Garrett Fuller, I know who that is. Yeah, That's you somebody do. Somebody that we I see all the time. Um, he says, Props to Lauren defending that Corey Feldman song. That's definitely not his worst song, but I'm biased as I am the original Corey's Angel. Something I did not know about Garrett. I didn't either. Uh, Elric said the story of the band was way more entertaining than the album itself. Needs a biopic. Wow. Richie. Wow. Richie. All right. Nick Jones says this is a Met album passable at points. Anytime you put it on, you think, why aren't I listening to the first album? Still no Stuck Mojo. 2019, let's go. So the Stuck Mojo push is there. But then we got the comment. Jeffrey Thomas rolls in. Please never stuck mojo. I'm from Atlanta and they've been a continual embarrassment to us. <laughs> wow. Wow. Says the only album to do would be Rising, as it was their most successful, not very, and best timed. Shots it reads like a fired. Oh, the shots continue, Matt. Listen, <laughs> no. shot. Oh, okay. It reads like a notebook the FBI would find in the room of a mass shooter. Angry conservative rants mixed with the fantasies of killing pop stars and, quote, Jezebels he used to date. Then he proceeds to give us a short list, he says, of reasons why not to. It's a long list. It's eight different reasons to not do them. It's, um, it's a tough list. This list really, um, for one, <laughs> he says you'll get Allison changed multiple times. So I'm instantly like, please no. Rich Ward basically cosplays Jerry Cantrell. It's all over everything. The riffs, the singing. He even looks like him. Holy shit. Boggy Depot. Boggy Depot. Yeah, just a lot of things. It really is rough. And then at the t- at the bottom, he says, song meanings has nothing on them, so it'd just be a boring, divisive cringe fest. And he says, Stuck Mojo deserves none of our attention. If you do decide to do them, don't say, I didn't warn you. Jenny, Nick Jones came back. He what did. did he, he said, Jeffrey Thomas. And this is exactly why I want this album. It's cartoonish <laughs> and utterly ridiculous. I want to hear the Roach Coach go off. I've got some great bands I'd love to hear, like Insolence, Lacuna Coil, and Guano Apes. But I don't think they'd make as fun of an episode. But hey, it's not up to me. So let's see what happens. Oh, let the universe take the reins there, Nick. Thank really? you very much. 
Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Jeffrey. We have been warned. Uh, we got another comment from a member of Super Heist, a former, I believe, bassist, Drew Deadman. He said, love the podcast. Parts of that album didn't age well, although we probably had a lot more fun making it than we did making Prize Recruit. Mm. Uh, that band photo, ha, 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 ha. I was taken on a bike track under a freeway next to a filthy drain in the inner west of Melbourne. I ride past it every weekend and reminisce about my youth, Metal Fingers. And uh, I reached out to Drew, told him thanks for listening. Also told him we love the prize recruit, sent him a link to the episode. And he said, sick. I'll listen to that now. Cheers. Mm. Thank you, Drew. Stephen Tilbury says, I didn't think anyone could encapsulate my feelings about an album so well, but y'all did. There's hints of awesome, a riff here or there, but it's just so meh. And oh, as far as Australian terms of endearment, mate is the most common, but then there's Koba. Kaba? I think Kaba. Kaba. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, Stephen. I'm doing my best here. Kaba, which is an old Australian version of mate. And there's also fair dinkum, which means <laughs> uh, something or someone is solid, honest, reliable, or a stand-up person. The best one, though, is just cunt, which we use very often as a friendly term for our mates. Good day, cunt. How's it going? Uh, translate to greetings, friend. How are you today? Anyway, bloody ripper episode. Thanks again uh, for way too many lols in being honorary bogans, ruffies, cunts. Yeah. Eggs. Yes. Yes. Uh. <clears throat> okay. Uh, that's great. Mike, uh, Mike Hoverleck uh, commented and says, if I ever move out of the U.S., being able to use the term freely will genuinely be on my list of reasons. Tilbury wrote back, said, if Australia had a constitution... The right to say cunt in an affectionate way would be enshrined and protected forever. I guess it would be a constitution. <laughs> and how do you top that? Yeah, that's it for who's tweeting. What a whoo. That's that's one of the hottest who's tweetings we've ever had. I'll tell you. Nothing but barn burners there. Uh, keep on saying hello. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Send us an email. Roachcoachpodcast at gmail.com. And you may be featured in who's tweeting. The album of the week, it's producer, what is it called? Producer Spotlight. Spotlight. Producer Spotlight, talking about the Ross Robinson produced album by The Cure called simply The Cure. Jenny, when did this album come out? This album was released on June 29th, 2004. That's the come down, baby. That is the come down, baby. There you have it. Jenny, history with The Cure. So I was aware of The Cure in that they're an extremely famous band with lots of extremely popular songs. Um, <laughs> I, outside of just like knowing who they were as like a band that had popular songs, uh, I think when I worked at Record Time, I very predictably and stereotypically had a couple like coworkers who were like, you got no, you have to listen. You have to listen to pornography. Um, you have to listen to, I think it was like disintegration and pornography mainly is where I was directed. And that's where I spent most of my time. I listened to kiss me, kiss me, kiss me, of course. And I did listen to this album. I think maybe once this was like a real used bin staple. I feel like uh, 
So I, I listened to this at least a few times. Um, I think I also got a bit into 17 seconds, but not too much. Uh, I was never a huge Cure fan, but uh, I had lots of friends who were huge Cure fans and would always try to like sell me on it. I just never, I just never quite got there. Um, I like the Cure, but I think that there's just like, I know a lot of people who fucking love the cure and I think I may have missed that by a few years or a few choices or something. I'm not sure. Um, but I think they're good. That's it. Lauren, how about you? Uh, so not a lot of experience with the cure. The only before procuring this album, uh, the only cure I owned was the uh, song that's on the first crow soundtrack, which I would often skip uh, when I listened to that album. I would, I think I'd just go straight to Big Empty, track three. And uh, and so I was never uh, never really into The Cure. I feel like they, in, on a popularity scale, had already kind of peaked, peaked out by the time I was really getting into music in like the mid-90s. So they always seemed like an older band to me, um, something that people like that were in like college were listening to when I was in like middle school. And... When I would hear him, I just, I, it wasn't really, it wasn't the, like, I liked grunge. And so that kind of sad rocking I got, but I couldn't, I, this seemed, this whole goth thing seemed very un, you know, unrelatable for me. And then when I would hear songs, I was like, okay, sure. And then when I was in college, uh, I was this girl I knew, um, and anytime there was a party, they would play Friday I'm in Love and she would do a whole dance to it. And that would happen at a lot of parties. Like that song would happen and you were like, here, here we fucking go. For a long time, I just associated this girl dancing to the song with The Cure. And I was aware of this album when it was coming out because of the fact that Ross had produced it. And that was uh, that guy that was a little bit of a hubbub about that. And uh, they were talking about it in uh, Rolling Stone. Oh, and I remember hearing a story from Moby uh, that he was a big fan of The Cure and then he saw them in concert, and it was the first time that he realized, and I could be missing some details of this anecdote, but I feel like this was the first time he realized the artifice of music, because he would listen to all these Robert Smith songs about how sad and depressed he was, and then he saw him in the concert, and he was wearing like sneakers, like Air Jordans or something like that, and he was just like, wait, what? Wait, <laughs> is this... And he said he just threw his whole, like, the whole mystique of, like, what fans putting out it kind of threw them for a loop so yeah that's my uh, history with the cure matt nas history with i think the cure. this is one of the times and it's rare because we're pretty close in age but i think i have at least five years on all of you i'm 41 yeah you got four years on me and i know that i have more than that on you i'm 34 and can't do math <laughs> yeah so yeah so I've, i'm i'm beaten yet uh the cure was a huge band for for me um i owned so like in the mid 80s when they were kind of really underground still even though i can't even imagine this band being underground but they weren't really mainstream until later um i would say disintegration was the album that really really took them into the mainstream because love song was a hit um and that's the album that I really know cover to cover. 
comparatively to their early works, which I did not collect. I just bought the singles collection, which was called Staring at the Sea. And it's kind of like, um, boy, oh boy, if you ever got catching up with Depeche Mode, that was also kind of like the best Depeche Mode songs from all the albums prior to Violator. <laughs> really? Okay. Or really People Are People. It's kind of like all their best hits before that point. And it makes you think like these guys were hit machines, but a lot of the early albums are kind of slogs. There's great songs and then there's like, um, but I, I love the cure. They're kind of insufferable as, as Robert Smith is himself kind of like a very odd front man, but I love them. Uh, and I am so excited that you're doing this record because <laughs> I really, really like this record. Uh, but um, um, it was also Ross's favorite band. And when he gets asked why, uh, what his favorite project was, the, his favorite thing that he ever did, this is the record he talks about. Um, he... He has often, in the Wes interview uh, on Talk To Me, um, Toomey is talking to Wes, and Wes mentions Ross, and they both together, Wes and Ross, have commiserated that they have done a lot of other things, and a lot of things like this particular Cure album that Ross would love to talk about more, but everybody wants to talk about the first Slipknot record, or the more mainstream successful things that they have done. So I'm excited to talk about this record. So as we said, producer on this record, Ross Robinson with Robert Smith. Genre tags, Jenny, what do we got? Just alternative rock. Hmm, surprising. I uh, I have a physical copy of this album. This was a big thrift. Picked it up from Second and Charles for a suite, $4.75. These liner notes... Children's drawings, uh, various uh, ability. The front is is a, a very rough scribble. I, I um, believe these are from Robert Smith's nieces and nephews. Yeah. Oh, yeah. On the Wikipedia, there's no cite. It says citation needed. So take this with a grain of salt. No, no. But just trust me. Believe it. Okay. The children were unaware that the drawings were to be put on the album. They were supposed to be of a good dream and a bad dream for each niece and nephew. Smith compiled the best drawings on the album and then produced it. Yeah. These remind me of uh, drawings that I see at my son's school. Very rough drawings. I mean, some of these, there's a creepy, cre- I don't know what this is, like a creepy skull face near the back that's uh, done in crayon. That's actually pretty, pretty arty, pretty cool looking. And then this one at the back with, uh, what is this, like a pile of ghosts dripping blood? And then a lady who's sad and is crying? Yeah, something. Ross, uh, there's an anecdote that Ross tells about making this album. And I think we should just talk about it right now. That Ross got everybody in the room and had them play. And they were playing. And Ross said, hey, I'm going to stop you guys right there. I thought you guys were the cure. <laughs> I thought you guys were the cure. And people got upset. Some people threw instruments on the ground. People stormed out of the room. And Russ thought, maybe this is it. 
I'm in one day, I'm out the same day. And Robert Smith came over and he said, thank you. Thank you for saying that. So they went down to the pub, because of course they went down to the pub. And the bassist came over and he said, I'm glad you fucking said that shit to me. You were right. Let's fucking do this record. Speaking of, Jenny, who's in The Cure? Oh, who's in The Cure? I thought you'd never ask. We've got Robert Smith on vocals, guitar, and production, of course. Perry, uh, go ahead and just correct me as I go, as usual. Perry Bamonte on guitar, Simon Gallup on bass guitar, Jason Cooper on drums, and Roger O'Donnell on keyboards. Matt, is this... um is this been a pretty solid lineup or is, is this uh, like the Robert Smith show with the, with a with a couple different guys? A lot of those guys have been with the band a long time, but there has been rotating members in the cure. Okay. Um, so we are doing the North American version of this album. Um, depending on where in the world you get this album, it may have 15 tracks. It may have, 12 tracks. Um, if you get it in America, it has 11 tracks. We're doing the one with 11 tracks, just for clarity's sake. But I think we're ready to uh, to dive into this first song. So before we do that, yeah. Yeah, one, yeah. Of the, one of the things that we talked about and one of the reasons why we, we are kind of focusing on Ross and focusing on these four, uh, four records that we're about to do is we kind of wanted to see... Is there a fingerprint from a producer who's so well known in the new metal world? Does he have a fingerprint that brings some of that sound to these artists? Yes. Mm-hmm. With that. A, with that. Lost. I can't find myself. I can't find myself I can't find myself I can't find myself In the head of the stranger in love Holding on, giving all To another under fate Setting some and I wonder where I am Could she run away with him So happy and so young And I stare as I sing In the lost voice of a stranger in love Out of time, pressing gold In another world that spins around for fun And I wonder where I am Could he ever ask her why So happy and so Matt, if you want to go to 220. Sure. 
Matt, yeah. let's start with let's start with you on Lost. Oh boy. Wow. <laughs> so Ross is all over this. All over this record. That song for a cure song is probably like the rawest thing. One of the rawest songs that I think the cure has ever done, per se. It's very simple. It's very repetitive. But when we talk about Ross's rules, like Robert Smith, like I, I know that the, the cure can be contentious. People love them. People hate them. I'm on the love them side. But I, they still irritate me. <laughs> they still irritate me as a band because they can be up their own ass. And I think that's the problem with the cure is that they kind of made a name for themselves being these mope poppers just kind of like putting their hair down, head down, shoegazing, and getting through it. But they've always stood the test of time because they've been very connectable with people on the outsides. And this particular record and this particular song, that sentiment is a very clear return to form for the band that is kind of dealing with the most commercial success that they've ever had in their, well, Wish was incredibly successful for them. Um, it's Friday I'm in Love was a single of which they had never achieved before with any of their other record. And then the the record before this one, I think was probably one of their most unsuccessful records. Blood Flowers, right? I think it was Blood Flowers, and I don't yeah. think that was a very successful record for mm-hmm. them. So to have this one come out and basically have Robert Smith say, I can't find myself. I got lost is a mea culpa to the fans, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, to have something that is this, that is this lost and this despondent is, I don't know. I, I really, really, really like this song. It's a noise fest. I mean, it's kind of all over the place. He isn't really singing per se in key, but there's not really a key for the song. He's just got to hold tight and keep going through it. And eventually the whole band gets there. And I really like it. Jenny, thoughts on Lost? Um, I liked it a lot, too. I thought that where I saw Ross all over this was just like, I could definitely see him like coaxing this sort of like very raw vocal performance out of somebody who I won't pretend to be like a scholar on the cure or anything like that, but this is certainly, I mean, one of the most, this just reeked of Ross to me. And I'm not sure if that's because I'm like more familiar with like Ross's work than maybe some of like earlier cure stuff, but um, but Robert Smith does not scream, no per se. Like he does not really do that. He stays kind of in his range, and that's what he does. I liked it a lot. Thought it was cool. Heard the angel coming through. Not hearing like a, a level of like plant throwing or anything like that, but uh, I do like it quite a bit. Lauren, what do you think? I uh, I like it as well. It's it immediately struck me as uh, it, when I listened to this album for the first time, I was basically coming off of only having heard the singles. 
um, and not having heard any albums. And so immediately I was like, oh, well, this is like, uh, my first thought was, this is like the beginning of a Bright Eyes album. Like atonal yelling over a strummed guitar in what sounds like a weirdly mic'd room. And then it just builds and builds and builds to him just screaming the same line over and over again. And it almost felt like this song, it functions as a song, as a Cure song. But also, if you had told me this was the first song they did, and Ross was just there being like, say it again. Say it again. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. So like when he's, when I had you go to 220, and he's screaming, I can't find myself over and over again, more frayed. Like it, it didn't sound like I was hearing like a duplicated, like I'm hearing like he did all these live in a take. And yeah, like Ross just being like, I want you to yell it until I believe you. And when you, I believe you, I'm, I'm going to give you like the thumbs up or something. And so right away, this almost felt like just sort of like, like a vote, like, I don't know, like an exercise that they ended up being like, no, this actually also turned out as a really cool song. So, I mean, also after I did listen to this album, I went and listened to, I, I, I a friend of mine, Brian, he's like a huge Cure fan. And so I texted him, I'm like, Hey, what do I, what should I listen to? You know, just as, just so I don't roll in like a total dummy and haven't heard nothing. And he's like, He's like, everybody loves Disintegration, but my favorite is Pornography. And I was like, okay. So I pulled up Disintegration, and it was um, on Apple Music. It was like 71 minutes long. Oh, yeah. I was like, it's oh, long. Jesus. So then I pulled up Pornography, and it was like 45 minutes. And I was like, oh, okay, there we go. So I listened to, uh, I'll be honest, half of Pornography. I thought it was pretty boring. It very much was a mood. It definitely was also, it felt made in a studio in comparison. Like I could, I felt like I was hearing you know, overdubs and these type of things. It felt of its time. It wasn't necessarily bad, but it was kind of dull. And so going back and listening to this album again after having listened to that, I'm like, oh man, Ross was, I feel like Ross was like throwing out the Cure rule book. He's like, how do you do things? Not today, friends. Not today. So yeah, so immediately, yeah, I was uh, very much on board. Only one comment I like on songmeanings.com from commenter Robert Korg said, for me, it was pretty obvious the first time I heard the song, it's about giving up your dreams, sensitivity, and poetry when you fall in love with a girl. It's replaced by the inner world of the girl. So he can't find himself. He's changed and lost his poetry, and he got lost in the inner world of the girl. Oh, no. Oh, man. Oh, man. Bitches, am I right? (laughs) Am I right? You hate to hear that. Well, (laughs) let's hope he can get out of that. Pussy trap. That Nedden Hole. Oh, that Nedden Hole. Hopefully Robert can find himself free of that. Up next, we've got a song called Labyrinth. Say it's the same song. Spinning in the same spot. Say it's the same star. Yes. 
So this is going to be the hard part about this record, is that uh, they don't really have the same kind of verse, chorus, verse no, structure no. that makes it really easy to uh, turn mm-hmm. down at specific parts. Yeah, it's funny, yeah, because I wrote in my notes actually for this song is that like this is a song that the first time I listened to, I'm like, I guess this song doesn't have a hook. And then like two and a half minutes in, I think I didn't write it down, but like it sneaks up on you. All of a sudden it's oh, like, yeah. oh, this is the hook. Here it is. This is the hook. This is the chorus. Um, it's just a little more unconventional, but it's there. And yeah, um, yeah, I thought this was uh, pretty good. The lyric I wrote down was, this isn't how it's always been. Everything has to have changed or it's me. And I I, I think that when we know that The Cure is Ross's favorite band and thinking about you know what is considered like his milestone records and the things that he wants out of out of bands and what The Cure was known for. And I mean, this might be a reach but let's do it is that they were a band that, you know, Robert Smith was laying it out there. He's putting out this sort of open wound of his sadness. And then when Ross is going in with these bands like corn, like slipknot, and they're coming in with, you know, you know, these tales, you know, daddy, things like that. Ross is like, well, yeah i mean you're giving me sadness in a different form uh let's let's pull that out you know that's what you know ross was responding to in the old cure stuff and that's what it was finding for there jenny what'd what'd you think of uh labyrinth um i liked it i think i agree with i was thinking the whole time i was listening to this how are we going to talk about this record like what are we going to pull out of it um one thing I definitely noticed about this that may may have been a bit different than what I'd listened to with The Cure before, it seemed a little... It seemed like... it. The Cure has always seemed sad to me in some way, like tortured, but this felt like... It felt more on the nose or something like that. Like, it didn't seem as, like, traumatic as previous records i'm not quite sure if that's it but um i was thinking i was reading a lot about like the the whole production of this record and how it came together and like um just like how ross had said that the cure was a band that was around for him when he was like going through some like really dark shit and like i feel like i'm hearing that on this as well like maybe he's pulling that out more maybe it's just there i don't know um but i'm also curious because i read that they recorded 20 songs all together for this record and then uh ross had like eight really depressing songs that he was like this is the perfect album and then <laughs> robert smith said nah <laughs> we're throwing these together because it's up to me yeah. And I have a lot of questions about that dynamic. Um that's not necessarily directly <laughs> linked to this song, but that's kind of just what I was wondering the whole time we were listening to this. Like, is this one of the time Ross like how much was Ross yelling during each track? First track? Yeah. Getting a lot of yells. Right. Mm-hmm. Labyrinth? I yeah, because it kind of 
Labyrinth definitely starts with the sitar and the that kind of like feel of even if it's not a sitar, I'm just gonna pretend it is. Um <laughs> but it kind of just starts with like a we're on a vision quest. <laughs> you know, like it has that feel of just like exploration. And I don't know. I mean, that's always kind of been a pure thing. Like all yeah. of this is very much in their pocket, their hip pocket. So yeah. Is it Ross asking for them to do his favorite things that they do? Or is it him trying to get their essence back out? Here's another thing to consider. Think about all the bands that Ross made his name with. They were all new. They were all looking to Ross for guidance in a way that I don't think Robert Smith was looking to Ross for guidance. You know, these are people who like... I mean, Corn like what they've never been in a studio before, maybe. Ross is like, Yeah, I'll show you guys what you need to do. I'm your leader. And with this, the vibe I get is sometimes they're like, Well, f- well okay, Ross has got some ideas. So we'll follow him today. But like 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 yeah, this whole like we Ross said, here's eight songs. This is the album. And Robert's with me like, mm, I'm the cure. You're not the cure. <laughs> you know? And I'm wondering if maybe just that sort of dynamic may have been a little different because the the wikipedia says that this was supposed to be the first of three albums that they put out on ross's label and i believe they've only put out one other album since this album and i don't think it was on ross's label so i'm wondering if maybe maybe it was an experiment of maybe robert smith saying hey let me let somebody else take the reins and then realizing during the process hold on I, I know whose name's associated with this. I don't know. Should we go to the next track? Oh, yeah. Uh, up next, we've got Before Three. <laughs> if you haven't turned it off yet, you might have just done it. <laughs> That's a cure song and a half. I mean, it's kind yeah. of, it is so wild to be listening to the cure on this show. Number one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It is so wild to have a deep history with a band on this show. <laughs> uh, this is a real topsy turvy show for me. Um, that the, that is a song that you expect from the cure. That is a cure song. Like it captures, so many elements of what they do well that it makes me wonder but it's not like Friday I'm in love which is like a straight ahead pop song 
Like that's the cure pop song that I'm kind of used to. Right. I, I'm Friday. It's Friday. I'm in love. It's kind of like this anomaly that's over here. Like that could fit in any place in their catalog past disintegration. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't, it doesn't need explanation as to you hear that. And you're like, you hear, oh, you're like, yep, that's, that's Robert Smith. And some people are instantly like, I fucking hate that guy. And other people are like, Ooh, let's see what happens. What struck me with it was that this song is so happy. Like it's so happy. He's, he's squealing from the start. He's just yelping. And it's, it's this crazy inverse, and it made me once again, and once again, we don't know. Maybe I'm giving credit to Ross that he doesn't deserve credit for. But this felt like the opposite of like, we've heard all these albums where Ross is in there, and he's like, I'm going to pitch this at your head if you don't scream about how upset you are that you got beat up as a kid. And this seems like the opposite of like, you go in there, and you be the happiest motherfucker alive. I want you to be this song is happy i don't believe you i want you to be happier like this is cranked up to 11 happiness this song is amazing and i wrote in my notes this song is legit amazing these lyrics are coming he's singing with like this like tinge of sadness but still like a happy nostalgia he's running on these memories it's wild it's amazing jenny thoughts on before three. Oh, i uh i liked it quite a bit it is weird to hear something so cheerful and just it I think that it was really, I didn't realize it until we were doing this. And then uh, there's one other specific Ross record that we're doing that I listened to that it's like, I almost don't know how to get myself in the headspace to listen to these records for this show. Cause I'm like, there can't be a bodies. Right. <laughs> what am I looking for here? Um, but the the cheeriness, I feel like with like the first couple songs on this record, I was like, okay, I see some torture here. This, like you both said, literally had a squeal. It has a squeal, but the music it it still itself still has foreboding in it, which is something that the Cure has been very good at capturing. Where it's like, I'm gonna just uh, turn it back up for a second. Like, there's still, it's not like major happy. It's happy. It's as happy as you can be when everything is terrible. Right, exactly. But there still is like, but shit could go wrong at any moment and things can go wildly wrong. But I'm in love in a storm. It sounds like the best you feel when you're depressed. Yeah. Which mm. I guess isn't really a hot take on the cure, <laughs> but felt so great when I was saying it. I'm like, yeah, people have been saying that since before you were born. <laughs> so, ah uh, man, I did want to mention. So yeah, reviews for this album generally pretty positive. Enemy eight out of ten. Pitchfork seven point seven out of ten. Rolling Stone four out of five. Uh, the Rolling Stone review. Rob Sheffield wrote it, and he's got some pretty good lines in here. He says, uh, Robert Smith is a love cat with nine lives. He's the groovy big sister you always wish you had, a swirl of big sticky hair and lipstick and new wave angst. He still reigns as the coolest coolest lesbian rock star of all time, even if he's technically a straight guy. And The Cure on a roll these days, and their new album is their most adventurous and passionate since Disintegration. 
Uh, before three, lost, and I don't know what's going on, are jaw-droppingly great hymns to romantic obsession, the cure's specialty. He has a line at the end where he talks about, um, people tend to associate Smith with adolescent gloom, and he's always sung smart adult love songs, the love cats just like heaven, and he hits one of uh, his all-time romantic peaks here, wailing the twisted devotion of before three. Whispered dreams so fucked and high, it's hard to hold this night inside. And then uh, Rob says, it's the grooviest thing. It's a perfect dream. So that's quite a glowing take um, <laughs> on this album. Listen, there are some uh, famous um, massacres in the history of the world. My Lie Massacre, we've all heard of that one. Vlad the Impaler, that guy had a lot of blood on his hands. Mm-hmm. But one of the bloodiest things I've ever seen is the Cure page at robertchristgo.com. Oh, no. <laughs> It is a massacre. If you have children nearby, put them in another room. Put on headphones. Guard them. Guard them. Because they are not ready for Robert Christ gone the cure. So let me just run down some reviews, some some letter grades. Boys don't cry B plus. Pornography C. The head on the door B. Staring at the C. B plus. Kiss me, kiss me, kiss me, B. Disintegration C plus. What? Wish, C+. Galore the singles, sad face. Blood flowers, <laughs> bomb. The Cure self-titled, bomb. Oh, Robert. Christ, gal. I could go and read all of the vicious things that he writes in his little capsule reviews. Because he just, it's like, through the 80s, they were just like, send it to Robert so he has something to smack around the room. I'll read this one. This is from his blurb for pornography. He quotes from the album, In books and films and in life and in heaven, the sound of slaughter as your body turns, end quote. No, I can't go on. I mean, why so glum, chum? Cheer up. Look on the bright side. You got your contract right in your synthesizers. Bet you'll have fun with them. Believe me, kid, it will pass. That was his review for pornography. Oh, my God. Wow. And um, he has a line... Here it is. This is this is the one. This is the one I'm going to take with me to my grave. In reference to Robert Smith's singing style, he says, his characteristic vocal technique is the unacknowledged sob. Wow. <sighs> man. Oh, man. Don't, uh, don't go in there if you... Yeah. <laughs> don't go in there. That's my advice to Cure fans. Don't go in there. All right, well, let's see what else this record has for us. Up next, we've got The End of the World. Go if you want to. I never try to stop you. Now there's a reason for all of this feeling. Oh, it's not my call. You couldn't ever love me more. As a Cure fan, it's what you want to hear the Cure do. This feels like classic Cure. Yes, it completely feels like classic Cure. I, I can't imagine how excited Ross was when he heard something like this. Like, oh yeah, that's you guys. That's a that's a not the Love Cats, but 
That could be on the same record as Love Cats. I wonder if Ross was excited or if he wanted them to be darker. Having the story that he has an eight-track CD that he listens to of just the saddest songs, that leads me to believe the tracks like The End of the World and Before Three aren't on it. Do you mean the specific evidence that you have that he just wanted them to be sad, Lauren? No, from the anecdote that... No, um, I know. I was saying, like, exactly the thing that is what I was like... Yeah. 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 But I feel like we're going to come back to Ross's rules often this month. Ross's rules are rewrite, number one. Mm. Yep. Number two is uh, work on your choruses. And number three is uh, if you're if you're gonna write it down on paper, then you better make me feel it. For Cure songs, which have relied on melancholy as a crutch their whole career, mm-hmm. I think they're delivering in spades. Yeah, I don't. I honestly, this album did not feel phony to me because I think that was the other thing was I was worried about getting caught up in the sort of gothy pretentiousness yeah that's what i yeah i mean them because it does because he is right because because also i mean he's in i mean you know obviously all of this is you know the level of performance but i mean there's an extra level of like you know doing the hair doing the makeup that whole style that is putting on airs of sorts and and so to sort of really sing it like you mean it especially yeah when you know on songs like that first song you know it, it does set the stage i don't know if even necessarily that's sort of like runs as like a sheen over the rest of the album that maybe if some of these songs aren't as intense as that one you had to have that as sort of like a a scene setter of how the whole record's gonna go but yeah i mean i uh i like this one it you know it sounded as you know the cure as i expected i do recall hearing this song or maybe catching the video when this album came out and remember thinking maybe like crossing my fingers like Maybe it's gonna sound a little like corn. And I heard this, I'm like, no, the cure is the cure. Like, yeah. Right. You're not gonna so, you're not yeah. gonna change that. No. Yes. Robert Smith did specifically address like because people were like, Why is the new metal guy working with the cure? <laughs> it seems like. And he said it's cure heavy, not new metal heavy. But he said new metal N E W metal. That's what you would expect from Robert Smith. <sighs> Robert Smith do better. I'm just Wait, kidding. did Robert did Robert Smith didn't he do a duet with Jonathan Davis on something? Or am I crazy? Well, that was going to be my question. Wasn't Jonathan Davis a huge Cure fan? I know he was a big Duran Duran fan. I know he said that. So I mean, I feel like probably I feel like that fits fits in it. But yeah, I feel like I can't remember where that there was some somewhere that Corn did a duet with Robert Smith on something. But I don't know what. I don't know where. Maybe we'll figure it out by the end of this episode. Or maybe someone will say, why don't you guys go on YouTube and look it up? Mm, Classic question. All right. Classic cue. What's next? (laughs) Up next is Anniversary.
didn't love this one. This is a darker Cure song. It's so funny to describe a band by their own work, but it's yeah. so. I mean, this is their twelfth record, so their mm-hmm. style and genre is so defined almost by them that it's hard for it's hard for other comparisons to be made. Uh, it's them returning to a, a darker style stuff that you haven't heard since Disintegration. Um, I mean, I'm I'm into this shit, but. I don't think this is an every time listen. Also, by the way, yes, during uh, Corn's MTV uh, unplugged appearance is ah uh, uh, yes is when uh, they they did a medley between Cures in between days, which then goes into Make Me Bad. So well, why perfect, not? perfect. But yeah, um, this is the stuff that loses. I would say eighty to ninety percent of reg- regular people. Non-Cure fans, I guess. This Normies. Is the, well, this is the stuff like, I would say, you know, like when you hear hardcore and that style is like, kind of you like it or you don't, there isn't a whole lot in between because there's nothing else into it. It's like, it is this. Either you like this or you don't. And this is a, the Cure kind of doing their darker Cure thing. And it's like, you like it or you don't. There really isn't a lot of in between. Yeah, I would agree yeah. with you there. I like it. So, yeah. you know, I was there for it. I I didn't uh so I didn't remember this part until a couple minutes ago cuz I was like I know that I read that Ross threw something at this Ooh. band. But it said something like there was uh I I just started doing some like digging about <laughs> like working with Ross and apparently what he threw at the cure and this might be completely false, but Let's just say the internet was correct. Lit candles. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrifying to me. Wow. Man. I like that Ross can throw a candle that's lit and it stays lit. It's yeah. Like, yeah. I, there yeah. were no reports on the uh, the state of the candles after being thrown. Yeah. Um, but, lyric. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you go. Uh, I was just saying, lyrically, this does seem to be about um, basically someone... you know a year after i don't know being together with them and and the 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 romance uh, the relationship has ended and i wrote in my notes i don't think this relationship worked out (laughs) but uh my favorite uh view of this song is on songmeanings.com it's from commenter lips so cold they burn this song makes me want to have sex it is beautiful there you have it. Put lips, this lips song so cold. You done it again. Put this one on your sex playlist. You there, and then all of a sudden, anniversary rolls on. The song about a doomed relationship. <laughs> I am completely unshocked to hear that this is on a sex playlist, and that probably <laughs> tells you lots about. You know, look. That's just speak your the, truth. People put sad songs on sex. It I don't know. It depends. I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts, but there are people who would put crazy bitch on their sex playlists. And then there are people who put cure songs on their sex playlist. That's right. And mm-hmm. never is, shall the two meet. <laughs> is, is it wrong? Is it right? If you get the job done, I think it works. I want to see a, a romantic comedy made about somebody who has crazy bitch on there. 
sex playlist and somebody who has butt cherry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I was saying it as though it was just a universally known fact. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, Buck Cherry's a crazy bitch. Right. Do you got? I grew I, up in Westland, Matt. Oh, oh I forgot. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Okay. Um, I might be dating myself on this one, but there was a there was a show on MTV. It was like a one-off special, and it was like they just talked to a bunch of normal people about like the stories of them losing their virginity. And I don't know if I actually saw the full video, but I remember, or the full show, but I remember the promos for it. There was this girl in it, and she's like, everything was going great, and then he put on Motley Crue. And I always remember that. It's like, this girl lost her virginity to this guy playing Motley Crue. And yeah, I was just like, takes all kinds. So like, yeah, crazy bitch. Doesn't seem so out there. Um, That's a yeah. real, I'm I'm sorry to hear that story. <laughs> That is, yeah. <laughs> He's the one to call out the fear oh, I'm, I'm supposed to I mean, be you enjoying. Hope, you hope it was that era. Oh, God. You know? Can you imagine getting rocked a home sweet home? Oh, man. Or, Most or, songs would be bad to have sex to. Girls, Just girls, girls. Generally speaking. Oh, d- you most put songs. every song made into some sort of internet <laughs> that has all the songs. <laughs> and you just select a song at random to bone to how confident are you because odds are songs not gonna be good most songs not not made for that most people aren't made for rhythmic boning let's just admit (laughs) it right here there is i mean technically there's a rhythm of some kind right but like yeah maybe it's like an interesting time signature that you have (laughs) Yeah, you're Maybe. doing it all. Wow. Oh, this is gent. <laughs> wait, wait, are we in Tool Town? Is this Tool Town? Because you seem to be banging me at twelve four time. <laughs> I don't know. Let's get into we it. We gotta keep going. <laughs> Next song, us or them. <laughs> Matt, we got to get to that chorus, man. All right.
Get the fuck. I don't want you anywhere near me. Get your fucking world out of my head. You guys. Back the fuck up. <laughs> back the fuck up. You don't know me. You don't get me. You don't understand me. Who's talking? Robert Smith or Ross Robinson? Remember that list you were making, Jenny, of songs to play if you get grounded? <laughs> Put yeah. it on the list, man. Put this Cure song on the list. So what I did... So, yes, I agree. First of all, if I ever get grounded again, which... How? If it happens, so I will listen to this. <laughs> um, <laughs> if that circumstance comes up, I'll listen to this. But this did make me think about how there are so many people I know, especially now that we've been doing this podcast for a super long time, so many people that I know who I think have like very good taste in music, who listen to lots of like really interesting things would be like, Oh yeah. Like that static X record loved it. Uh, you know, like, Oh, I listened to like new metal up until this point. This song is a cure song to me very much through and through mm -hmm. yet. We're able to pull such like a new metal thread from it. Like mm -hmm. it, it just made me think about how the sentiment is so often the same through any genre of music. Like, Every genre of music has like a back the fuck up song. It's just not so like okay. Neanderthal. You know what I mean? Well, I think I've been I've been holding on to this uh, Ross Pohl quote for a while. And he says and has said that a lot of metal is filled with cowards. It's filled with people who won't who hide behind things and he prefers and likes music that is up front and makes me feel the emotions of the person who's actually presenting it isn't hiding behind anything and if there is a band that is known for being up front with its emotions the cure is one of those bands so it isn't surprising to me to hear the guy who put, you know, daddy on record to that put all these really harsh emotional things on record to have the cure come in and be like, no, you can, you always have been saying this, get, you know, get the fuck up out of my head. It's just like, I think. I think that much like in the world, different people have like a, a different way and like mode of communicating this type of thing. But the sentiment remains it's the universal. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Like everybody's been grounded. Yeah. Whether you have a pop song about getting the fuck back, which I can't think of one right now, but there right. are certain or hundreds. I mean, bye, bye, bye is yeah. classic. That's true. Mm -hmm. I remember I remember uh, coming home and my Nintendo Entertainment System was unhooked from the TV. It was gone. Oh. It was gone because I had uh, screwed up real bad. What'd you do? I don't remember. I mean, it was, I was an idiot. I didn't wash the floors or some shit. I made a promise. You I had to wash floors at your house? Yeah. I was, oh. 
I washed the kitchen floor and the bathroom floors. That just took me straight to Cinderella. Yeah. yeah. Like, Matt, are you okay? <laughs> yeah. I, had, I had a bunch of Were rat you friends, friends with the rats? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they made me a beautiful dress for my prom. <laughs> if Catherine was your Prince Charming, that would make complete sense. That would make sense. Uh, um, I do want to mention uh, one comment. I won't read the whole thing, just the, the best part uh, from commenter YYY. Uh, no, who said this song is a kind of a pissed off version of imagine which um okay and then uh a commenter came in and said uh, commenter david ip fan said i like the comment above comparing this to imagine might have something there all right the kind of hard hitting yes mm-hmm. the uh the legibility of the comments on songmeanings.com has gone up exponentially. <laughs> you get to the cure. Everything's just like, great point, mate. Anyway, I might think this is true. And you're like, oh, classic take. I love that. Come over for dinner on Saturday. Everything's nice. I'm making a shepherd's pie. No one's been called a bitch as far as I or can Or a dumb tell. fuck. No, 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 no. What do we got next, Jenny? Up next, we have Alt End. Jenny, thoughts on Alt End? I liked Alt End. Again, I kept trying to pull the thread between new metal and pop songs, uh, which I think you could argue that many new metal songs are just pop songs anyway. But um, I liked it a lot. the whole vibe I get from this, I haven't dug into songmeanings.com on this particular song, but mm-hmm. I mean, if this is just like a, a, a losing love song or like, I'll never let you go type deal. Classic fodder for life and new metal mm-hmm. and also the cure. So I, after, after hearing the, the last song, I was really just kind of stuck on like our, are all songs about the same thing? 
just like delivered with like your particular <laughs> messenger. Fl- yeah, like yeah. like how open are you? <laughs> that will help determine. Like maybe that's why some people I know who are like super like enlightened in my opinion just listen to like frequency vibrations. They're like, I don't even need these words. I'm just gonna listen to these vibrations. And I'm like, okay, I still need a lot of words and guidance. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what did you think? I did not know about the early, early cure that is more considered more post-punk. I wasn't really aware of that stuff. And so this one was very interesting, just to sort of like a straight-ahead rocker. I wrote in my notes that this is, this is a, a very fuck-it Robert Smith, because it doesn't even sound like he's dwelling on sort of this lost relationship. He's like, it's done. It's over. I'm moving on. It's, I mean, it's already been done and gone, you know. And I wrote, can a bitter, petty song be upbeat? And apparently so. Because this song also sounds very freeing when it builds to that chorus. That's the thing. There's these chorus builds that are like such a payoff. Like, such, like, you can think, it needs to go just a little higher. And it does. And then at the very end of the song, Robert Smith lets out what I called a satisfied squeal or sigh. That feels very cathartic. He squeals a was, lot. He does, Matt. Yeah, especially comments on the squeals. Well, especially yeah. in his later works, he he was very, very prone to squeal. That mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like a woman who finds a diamond she didn't know she had. Trust me, <laughs> an aristocrat that is. Oh, like I said, trust me. Trust me, baby. <laughs> you don't know about my diamond home. <laughs> Mitch just leaves diamonds around all the house. over the place. Oh my god. It's tiresome, but I find one and I'm like, ah! I'm too afraid to bite into cookies anymore. <laughs> ah! My teeth. <laughs> Shall we move on to the next song? I think so. Ah! Up, I think so. up next, we have Hello, I Love You. No, whoa. No. Nope, that's not it. It's oh. it, the, for some reason it's the wrong song. It's a uh, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> well, that makes sense. <laughs> about to give up on this song they really did with that chorus oh they do i thought this despite the fact that i blindly followed my website into a complete trap of naming the wrong song um i thought this was like a really great song 
I thought that it was like lyrically, it's a bit clunky in my opinion, but of all the times I listened to this album, this was one for some reason that I think made, I felt skeptical because of like the, there's a bit of clunkiness. There's that woo thing, but there's something about it that just feels like a good pop song to me. Mm -hmm. It's a good pop song. Yeah. The, the, the choruses on it fall short, but the payoff of the chorus, like, lauren was talking about earlier offsets it in a way that makes you love the whole which is a rare feat in pop Mm -hmm. and also like he's singing on this song i mean we start off with this doot 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 thing you know which is is it's tough especially nowadays to lead off with that you know only a couple people can nail it Robert did it here. The other man, I don't think we've ever talked about him on the show. Who's the only other person who can pull off a doot, 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 Jenny? The Janks. The Janks. The Janks. Because he can do whatever the fuck he wants. That's right. That's right. This is a a deep... (laughs) That was just an inside joke. (laughs) That was. Hey, hey guys. That's for nobody else. Fuck you. Are we going to explain it? Nope. No. No. (laughs) This song's about like a deep, delirious love, and it it comes across. So yeah, I don't really have a ton of notes for this one. I wrote it's a cure love song. Uh, gets it done. All right. It is absolutely what you want in a cure love song. Up next, we've got taking off. <laughs> Ow! Ow! He couldn't stop squealing. He found a diamond. <laughs> <laughs> Robert and the boys doing what they do best. Yeah. The thing that's remarkable about this song is that it sounds like I, I was kind of blown away. This song was made in 2004. Like this sounds like a song that could have, if you told me, yep, this is from 1985, I would have believed you hundred percent. It's it's yeah. It's interesting how like you have these songs that are definitely have that like Ross live lived in vibe, very raw sounding. But then there's a couple where it's just like, I mean, I don't know if it's just a situation of like, let me show you, I can, I can make it sound exactly like it was, you know, like they're almost, I, there was a review that I think it was written in sort of a, like a negative way that is sort of like the cure is sort of covering themselves. They're their own tribute band on this album, but I don't really look at that as a bad, bad thing. And I mean, if they're going to, if the songs are going to be this good, you know, I'm not upset about it. Yeah. Jenny. I think yeah. it was, it was blender 
Andrew Greenwald said the band comes off more than ever like a caricature. Um, but I think I wonder if because I was like trying to hear Ross on this song and I didn't really hear it that much. Mm, no. And I know. So it was like it was produced by both Ross and Robert Smith. Right. Correct. So I'm wondering if like the songs where we're like, oh, I hear Ross are exactly where he was. And then if I'm not. I don't know. I was wondering if yeah. this was like a, a Robert Smith situation because I, I didn't hear a lot of Ross in this one. Yeah, I think you might be onto something with that one. Yeah. Or I might um, be completely wrong. You might be fucking pulling out of your ass. <laughs> oh my God. Look How embarrassing you. could I be? You are The pulling. one time I've ever been wrong the entire time. Just blowing uh, it right here. I know. I'll have to resign. I'm so sorry, everybody. I got one real good comment on song meanings. It's from IATD42. It's almost like a piece of poetry. Daily grind payment for enjoying the free time with your loved one. Wow. And very dramatic. Very dramatic. Uh, take on, on on what this song is about. You work all day. You work hard, and you get to spend some time with your loved one. But you know. You gotta, you gotta go back to that work. You gotta go back to that nine to five, baby. It's part of life. Matt, okay. anything to add on taking off? No, I love the, um, I love the cure. I think. It's <laughs> <what I'm> <laughs> <laughs> keep discovering. Um, oh God, so weird. I feel very nostalgic listening to this. I guess, um, because I don't. To your point. Lauren, I don't feel like this is modern at all, really. But in the same breath, I'm kind of like, it's timeless. <laughs> Which is yeah. a little hokey to say in earnest. And I am kind of saying it in earnest. It's like you, when this band is doing what it does best, it does feel old and new at the same time which is really corny juxtaposition but there it is well i i think it also comes down to you know we're listening to this album in 2000 2019 and we're not necessarily thinking like it sounds like a weird dated record it sounds like the cure it sounds like them like instead of trying to make a record with somebody who's going to make it sound like 2004 i mean you could have told me this record came out in 1995 or 1989 or something like that. You know, right. for the most part, it's, it, I think that in a way, I mean, maybe you don't think it's the best album, but it definitely does have a timeless nature to it because it fits in well. It doesn't feel like an aberration. So, yeah. Uh, how respectful of our time is this record? So the version that we're listening to right now comes in at about 51 minutes. That's a little rough. It is, but that's nothing compared to <laughs> <laughs> all the other versions of this album, which come at around 71 minutes. Um, there are several different iterations of this album that are out. Now, How? what I would love to hear is Ross's 8. Yeah. Yeah. So it's I'm probably, probably respectful of our time and probably more like in line with what I want to hear. Yeah. Yes, Emma. Well, it, it's a loft cloud, you know. 
because you're a Zoloft clown. Yes. Well, it is interesting, again, that we have an album of which they have self-titled. Because that seems to be a very Ross move to work with established bands and then be like, when you work with me, you're making your self-titled record. That's very true. Corn by Corn, uh, Slipknot by Slipknot, Suicide Silence by Suicide Silence. Mm. <laughs> the Cure, The Cure. Yeah. Um, still don't have a Limp Biscuit by Limp Biscuit though. Oh, not yet. I mean, there's not still yet. time. There's still time. Who, who knows what this new one's going to be called? Oh. Up next, we have a song called Never. She wants so much to please me. She always does it right. She wants so much to please me. is usually where i check out on the cure <laughs> oh yeah matt if you can go to to minute three in this album or in this song amazed that he got that much out of robert smith i've got <laughs> three words for you okay danzig two <laughs> lucifuge <laughs> this sounds like danzig and Whoa. i will fucking fight anybody who tells me it doesn't wow this sounds like danzig too this particular one this yes this specific moment in this song i was like Actually, you know what? I don't even it's not even Danzig 2. It's it's just Twist of Cain. Okay. This might I mean, just just be I don't me, I don't I don't have much uh I would say my knowledge of dancing is even less than my knowledge of The Cure. I did try to listen to an album of theirs uh a couple of years ago that had been on some metal list and I thought it was super slow. Like the tempos were super slow. Just wait until just give him a second. <laughs> That's what I'm getting from Robert Smith. <laughs> yeah. It's going to take a while to get into the whole deal, but. All right, I'm with you. Well, this is just dancing, dancing yes, it up. Yeah, the the chorus of this song though is what. <laughs> when he's yelling, that's what I'm getting from this song. All right, all right, I'll give it to you. 
All right. A connection I did not see coming to dancing. Um, <laughs> to dancing? Isn't that what I said? Oh, no. I heard dancing. Oh, wait. <laughs> was it Hold on. I wasn't saying anything. Wait. It's wait. Danzig. It's Danzig. But it's Danzig? Danzig. Danzig. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> What's been happening, Lauren? Oh, no. Is this the reveal no one could have seen coming? Oh no! How many, how many lines in our conspiracy theory of music had to get crossed? Oh boy! <laughs> oh no! Oh guys, how's it spelled? D a n c i g. Oh fucking hell! It's just him. Oh man, you guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on. You have nothing to apologize. All right. <laughs> there is one song left, and who knows what it who will knows? unveil. Uh, uh, the Promise is the last song on this album. This is a uh, this is a oh, ten this minute is a burnout. song. This is the burnout. Um, but uh, I think at four twenty is when it four twenty oh, bro four twenty bro. I think is when it starts to really peak out. Um, yeah. So I don't know in relation to other Cure albums um, whether or not they do, you know, a rock out closer that's ten minutes long. But other Ross albums that have Droney rock out closers as the last track. I mean, maybe not Daddy, but certainly the first Slip Biscuit album, the first Slipknot album, the second Slipknot album. Those ones just off the top of my head. But the thing that was remarkable about this one is, I mean, I listened to this album three times. And I was, I never felt the length on this song. I feel it earns the full 10 minutes, which is pretty remarkable. That's, um, that's some fucking rare air right there. Yeah. And the fact that it builds to that big, like, payoff at 420 is, you know, yeah, uh, kind of great. So, yeah, I thought this was a very strong close, um, which I don't think we say very often on this show. So, uh, Jenny, thoughts on The Promise? I liked it a lot in terms of, I mean, 
I'd like it more if it was a thank you call out track. Oh, of course. But you can't always get your way. <laughs> I would have liked a little more in the way of thank yous, but I liked it a lot. I liked this album overall quite a bit. I thought it was good. I thought it was interesting in terms of like. So I guess my question before you go further is before this album and listening to it three times, your thoughts on The Cure were pretty flat or were they more in the like not for me camp? Um, I my thoughts would be I like The Cure, um, but I would never enter into a conversation about The Cure with somebody who was like, I am a huge fucking Cure fan because yeah. I felt like my love for this band was very cursory. I would say like 10,000 years or whatever is probably like my deepest cut like of them. But that's not even that. I think that there are just certain bands or genres that I think come with uh, some like level of gatekeeping. Oh, shit. So if I were to say like I'm a fan of this band, I would personally expect to receive a hundred thousand questions that I could not answer. So I would cautiously say that I was a cure fan and give all of like the, like, I don't know, just being like, but it's very base level. Uh, so that would have been me coming into this album. Lauren, where were you before coming into this? I'll be honest. I thought this album was going to be boring as shit. Um, Cause I don't really, care about the cure and even their singles there wasn't even they weren't even necessarily a band that i was like oh well i do really like this one song like it was never really like that for me um so i kind of thought this would be kind of a drag um and i came out of it this was songs that i really really liked and i mean every listen i didn't this was not like a oh i've got to listen to the cure again like oh gladly there is this album has so many great peaks and interesting moments and yeah it's 51 minutes i did not really feel the length i think part of it also is that if you think about it if the last song's 10 minutes long that means that the you know track nine ends with 41 minutes after 41 minutes so i mean like you're going out at the perfect time so i came out of this uh very very pleased uh matt nas i came in a fan not a rabid fan to your point where like i have met cure fans that know every bit of minutiae about the band mm-hmm. N- could name you all the band members that have left because of their drug problems throughout this band's storied career um but i've always considered myself a fan because i've, I've liked a majority of the work i i think they have a lot of sway in popular culture that we don't even realize when you kind of think about the new metal side of it, I think Jonathan Davis connected with the cure and Duran Duran more than he connected to carcass or harder metal acts. Like he, he always used to use these bands more as a touchstone. Um, Listening to this record being removed from it, because I never listened to this album before I knew that we were doing this. And then I was like, well, let me take a listen to it, which is rare for me because I usually don't listen to anything um, that we that we're going to do on the show. It, it made me fall in love with The Cure again. I, I really, really, really like this record a lot more than I expected to. It still has a lot of the dopey tropes that uh, The Cure falls victim to. A couple of these songs are just 
kind of things they do that I'm not fond of. But the love songs and Lost is such a standout for me. Mm-hmm. I just think that's such an amazing, true song. Like, I really, I don't know. I It sounds corny saying it, but I just feel like, no, I think if you've lived for any period of time, the emotion of Lost and not being able to make heads of or tails of who you are is such a universal truth that like you want to like you have this imagination of who you were and when you don't think you are who that is anymore that really gets captured in that song beautifully and it's just been really nice to hear this and then to hear a fan like Robinson go into this record and make this band do the things that it's really good at in a way that doesn't feel maudlin is refreshing because they could have slept walk through this record mm-hmm. and I, I and i think it was because ross was so demanding um i mean he says like he thought he was having the best time in the world with this band and then there was an interview with the bassist and the bassist just laid into him and was like oh oh shit okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, yeah it's i i do think like loss was a standout on this album for me at least um and it's i guess it's it's just interesting to me because i don't know i have like heard like interviews that he's like this is the best and then he also says like this was like one of the hardest things he did he went in a cave for two and a half years to make this record and then you hear like that he made the keyboardist sob and then he laughed when that person sobbed and like i don't know it sounds like it was kind of all over the place and i i can't imagine what it would be like to try to produce a band that I absolutely loved and have all of my like personal like practices and hot takes. And then they're also like, nah, we've been doing this. This is our, this is our yeah. 12th record. Yeah. Like yeah. we're about 30 years deep in this. So, right. So fuck off. <laughs> we're going to do what we do. Yeah. Like I wonder how that experience of like hearing something like, okay, I worked with this band. I'm considered to be like a master of my craft. I said, these are the eight songs. This is how we should put it together. Then the person from the band that is my favorite band said, no, fuck off. This is what the record looks like. And it is not the record I made for myself. Like, I I wonder how that, how that squares, Hmm. you know, and how that changes the way that you approach. If it does at all. Guys, we got to talk to Ross. I, gotta make this email count <laughs> just say we're gonna ask you about the cure a whole bunch i'd prefer it- to just speculate about how he feels <laughs> just <laughs> never ask well i'll 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 have a small conversation with ross robinson for the team then <laughs> i'm just kidding i don't want I, I won't say anything if we talk to him but <laughs> jenny you want to ask him anything no, no. i'm good i'm good uh, that brings us to the end of the first part of Producer Spotlight on Ross Robinson. Doing a whole month of these, baby. Next week, totally fucking different. You ain't ready. You ain't ready. I don't think I'm ready, if I'll be honest, for this record we're doing next, which no we will not ready. say what it is. No one's, no one's ready. ready. No, no one's, one's ready. ready. I'm not ready. I don't even <laughs> remember what it was. 
<laughs> you're not ready. Yeah, you're uh, not ready. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Keep on saying hello on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Head on over to roachcoach.com. Listen to every episode and get caught up. Go back and listen to our other theme months. Compilation month. That was a wild month. Themes. Themes. We got them. We got them. Until next time, Jenny, thank you. Lauren, thank you. Matt? Thank you. Thank you. All right. See you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.